customer data is so important. And sometimes it's not programmatic data. You can go into Salesforce and look at it or whatever CRM system you're using. Sometimes you just have to pick up the phone and talk to the customer like, why did you choose us? Who did you look at? What do we do for you? Why do we do that for you? What can, where can we do better? Would you tell your friends and what would you say if you told your friends about this? Um, all that information is super rich in figuring out what keywords to use when you're buying ads or figuring out what your general strategy is. Maybe you thought your strategy, again, was over here, but you look and all your clients are buying it for a different reason. So that customer data is like, it's a gold. It's just absolute gold. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back to the uh, Founders Journey Podcast. Greg Moran, I'm uh, your host with my with our co-host Peter Dean. What's up, Peter? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, good. We are uh, three days from Thanksgiving, so I wore my my festive uh, holiday sweater here. It's very festive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun episode uh, for a lot of reasons um, as we uh, as we go through this today. But um, our guest today is uh, is Jason Ferrara. Jason is the CEO of Full Circle Insights, who really helped marketers solve uh, their attribution problem. And we're going to let him explain that in a minute or two. But Peter and I, we we. We joke all the time that some of the hardest podcasts to do are when we actually know um, the person really well that we're interviewing. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we know Jason really well. Jason and I have worked together for uh, for a long time, our CMO and in one of our last companies together. So um, yep. nobody knows more about marketing and high growth companies than uh, than Jason does. So Jason, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Fun to... Uh... Fun to be back talking to both of you. Absolutely. Before we go on, the yeah. we the beard is a, like a work of art. I, th I've so, had a beard for a long time, so it's that's not new. Uh, yeah, but this is like a man beard. It's like a legit <laughs> man. <laughs> what do you think his beard was like before, it is, Greg? It is all. Hey, no, is, his my, my his barber is fine. the one. My barber is the one who keeps slowly grooming it longer. You know, every yes. time she cuts it a little bit less, and that then it's then it's I look like Billy Gibbons. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Jason, uh, describe what Full Circle Insights does because we're going to kind of get into kind of a broader discussion today. Of, yeah, we titled this Startup Marketing uh, Boot Camp, but sure. before we get into that, explain a little bit about what Full Circle Insights does because I'm not yeah. sure if people may not know what marketing attribution is and things like that. Sure, yeah, so. Yeah, the, the way I talk about Full Circle Insights is as a marketer, you're constantly sitting around fielding questions like, how's our marketing working? What's the ROI? What's the, where are all the people in the funnel? And the reality is most marketers don't know the answer to that question. And so it's really this uncomfortable moment. It's uncomfortable for the person asking the question. It's uncomfortable for the marketer who's answered that question. And, you know, people hate that, right? <laughs> they, they get that question. They don't know how to answer it. They go back to their team. Everybody's arguing. Everybody's bummed out because they don't know the answer. And the way I talk about Full Circle Insights is we help marketers finally get that answer, right? We're a Salesforce native. So all the data that we're using is sales and marketing data that the company already has. We take it. We put it through a data management process. We apply attribution models to it and really help somebody understand, all right, what am I doing that's having an impact on closed deals? What am I doing that's having an impact on conversion throughout our funnel? And it is with, with our clients, it is so like rewarding for them to see that and say, Oh, I, like I finally have that information. And it yep. seems trivial, but it's not because this is a problem that you guys know as well as I do. This is a problem that's been going on, you know, for over a century. I mean, this is like a big problem. I can't prove which, where my marketing's having an impact. So that, that's what we do. With it. It's the old marketing adage, right? 80% of your marketing doesn't work, but you just don't yeah. know what 80% it is. Exactly. It's 100% <laughs> right. of that. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it really is that. And it's, and it's very frustrating for marketers. And, and it's, you know, it's frustrating for the CFO and it's frustrating for the CRO and it's frustrating for the CEO. And like it, 
it's frustrating for the marketing ops people who are supposed to be responsible for that. So um, it's yep. really, it's really neat. It's really neat uh, business and, uh, and a cool product. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into kind of the sort of the earlier stage founder world, you know, where you're kind of at the sort of, let's call it zero to maybe 5 million in revenue, right? Okay. What, are the, mm -hmm. what are the biggest mistakes that you see startups make when they're actually trying to begin to market either the product or the company? Uh, yeah. What are the biggest things to see them doing? I've read, I re recently read this, the Elon Musk book, right? The Walter Isaacson book. And, and he, Elon Musk keeps going back to these first principles of a business. And, you know, regardless of what you think about Elon Musk, he at least has this framework that's like, here are the first principles. We apply them everywhere we go and good outcomes happen. And where I see a lot of mistakes are with that set of first principles. So it's, you know, stuff as basic as who are we? How do we explain what we do? Uh, seems so fundamental. And for a founder who's between zero and five million, maybe they've done that and maybe they haven't. So, so that's to get your team together. Like clearly, what is our strategy? Who do we sell to? What do we do? Why do we do that? What does it look like when you've got winners? Like who are the winners when they use our product? What are the losers look like? You know, you really want to get this clear picture of who those people are. So I think, I mean, strategy is number one. Absolutely. The second piece of that, I think, is some combination of hiring and spending too quickly and then hiring and spending not quickly enough. So there's a balance there. Um, you know, you can buy ads and experiment a lot in a pretty flexible framework. I mean, I don't think you're going to make all your money off Google ads, but it's a great place to experiment and a, lot, a great place to get information. It's a little bit more forgiving than hiring team members because, you know, people have emotions and it's hard to hire someone and then hard to let them go if you don't need them. Um, so I would say you got to spend a little bit to understand, understand that market and, and probably hold back on hiring until a little bit, until you're a little bit more uncomfortable than you thought you'd be and then find somebody. Um, and then that person who you hire, I think, you know, they need to be better than you are at that job. And I th think that's hard as a founder because you think that you're good at every job because you're doing all the jobs, but you also know where your strengths lie. And that, that should be the key as a founder. I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. I'm going to hire for to really buttress those weaknesses. Um, so you got to hire somebody who's be a better writer, a better analyst, a better, um, a, a better demand gen person, right? Um, a, just a better all-around marketer, a better web builder, whatever it is, um, hire people that are better than you. Yep. Yeah, so back to the first part of the question. I know this is a technical term, but I think most, not, maybe not all, but a lot of founders understand the concept of ideal customer profile, but mm -hmm. kind of what you're getting at in the beginning, like really try to figure out what the starting place for that is, or is that... I think so. It's, it's tough because, um, I mean, yes, you need to know who you're selling to and what that person ideally looks like. And there's a lot of customer information that you probably have or sales information that you have that you can start mm -hmm. tearing apart, looking at the people that bought, what was their path like, who did we talk to, and, and begin to build that, that ideal customer profile there. But there's also, you have to have you have to go in with your eyes wide open too, because you may be selling to people that you don't think are ideal, right? You want to, you want to mm -hmm. be selling someone else, but you're actually getting money out of a person you didn't think was your ideal customer. So you have to be willing to accept that analysis and say, here's where we're selling today. And here's where we want to sell tomorrow. So what's the market today look like? And what's the tomorrow market look like? Maybe they're the same, maybe mm -hmm. they're not, but you have to be willing to have that conversation. It's so interesting. I just, I, within the past few days, had a conversation with one of our portfolio companies about this. When startups begin, right, you put, you sort of have this assumption about who yeah. our customer base is. <clears throat> this particular startup, amazing company, great couple founders, goes out, they start running Google ads, they kind of start testing the market. And suddenly the data starts coming back of where they're getting interest from. Totally different. Yeah, totally. Than where they expected to see. 
Yeah. So then the question becomes, you know, I mean, the market's not wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But barely, you know, right. But you can get yourself, I think, in a in a real bind by not listening to that customer information that's coming back to you. Yeah. I feel like there isn't enough that marketers don't talk about current customer information enough. They don't talk about customer marketing enough. Mm -hmm. um, that's where all your information really mm -hmm. is. Um, and and I, I try to make people that aren't my businesses say, this is prospect. Don't call a prospect a customer, right? Because customers, clients, that, that's their own category. And you have to go in and look at that data. You can also look at prospect data. You can go look at search data and things like that. Um, but that customer data is so important. And sometimes it's not programmatic data. You can go into Salesforce and look at it or whatever CRM system you're using. Sometimes you just have to pick up the phone and talk to the customer like, why did you choose us? Who did you look at? What do we do for you? Why do we do that for you? What, where can we do better? Would you tell your friends? And what would you say if you told your friends about this? Um, all that information is super rich in figuring out what keywords to use when you're buying ads or figuring out what your general strategy is. Maybe you thought your strategy, again, was over here, but you look and all your clients are buying it for a different reason. So that customer data is like, it's a gold. It's just absolute gold. If you're just beginning, right, you're in those early stages, you're really trying to figure out, is my product, you know, do I have product market fit or, you know, I'm starting to market Maybe I'm not getting the same, the traction I want to. Do I have product market fit or do I have a marketing problem? Yeah. How do you decipher between those two things? Yeah, it is. It is tricky because it's, it's hard, sometimes hard to believe the data that you see because you you want right. it to be something that it may not be. And so you have mm -hmm. to like, okay, I got to, I got to believe data right. rather than believe myself. I look at it again, talking to your existing customer. So I'm making an assumption in this conversation that the company we're talking about has some customers uh, yeah. to, mm -hmm. to go to and talk to. Right. Um, yeah. And if it's a product led growth type situation, there's so much experimentation you can do to figure out where the product fits into the market, right? And, and so it's, if you've got customers, start talking to them. If it's a more enterprisey sort of hands-on sale, if it's a freemium model, you know, product-led growth kind of thing, they're just, it's like lots of experimentation in short bursts to try to understand. Um, you can test your marketing and you can test your product. I mean, I think those are two, two key ways to do it. You've got to get your team on board with those short bursts of activity. So the mm -hmm. team has to be able to be willing to say, yep, I sign up for a week of doing this, then we'll test it for a week, then we'll change it, right? Um, th that really has to be a part. I know that's not part of marketing. That's more of a company leadership thing, but that's got to happen. Like people need to be on board with this idea of product market fit or marketing problem. Yeah. Um, you mean like going through the process of like not falling in love with what you're doing all the time because it could be something that you're not doing later, like yeah. doing something totally different. That's really interesting because when you think about it, people are like, hey, I'm here to do this and they get excited about it. But really, they're here to experiment when you're that early, right? It took me uh, a, a long time, like, I mean, maybe more than. 10 years of my career to not fall in love with things that I did. And once I stopped falling in love with the things I did is when it was much more, well, frankly, it was much more fun to do marketing because then you're experimenting and you're like, I don't, I mean, I care what it says. Yes. But just get something out there so people can react to it. Right. And then yeah. have somebody else react to it. Have somebody else on your team say something, try something, put, put a bunch of words into a hat, pull them out and put a, sentence together and try it like it's a little more scientific than that but that's the spirit with which you have to approach you hit a thing that i see a lot which is such a stuff that we've talked about but it's when people are like this paralysis of what this perfect thing needs to be like before they execute it and and then it's executed and then everyone's emotional upset about it to your point like just 
just start doing something, right? Yeah, you got to start. I, I was, I was at a startup, um, and we, we basically built a new product for a vertical that didn't really need the product, and we spent tons of time marketing this thing and having like no success. It was this conversation: is it the is it the mm-hmm. market? Is it the product? I mean, the product worked, you know, you, we could test it. We like, it, it was like the product wasn't broken. Just nobody in that particular vertical cared to, to spend the money and cared to solve the problem that it was solving. It was really hard to see through that because the push was grow, grow, grow this one, this one product. And finally we got down to like, okay, after it was probably a year that we just, all of us were just driving so hard, just stopped because we had been kind of beaten by that by that market rather than here is a really simple um, product that we could test very quickly and just give it to as many people as we could and see how it was used would have been even just with no marketing at all would have told us more about that market than all the keywords you could have you could have gotten right just the conversation with them all tremendous lesson to learn hard lesson to learn but but super important you see it all the time in the startup world, right? Where, you know, it's, you're just, you're pushing that rock up the hill every single day and you're trying to fight this market resistance that's actually working against you. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I know you've been in, you know, successful earlier stage companies that went on to be, you know, much larger companies. You've been in once, you know, in that scenario where it may not have worked out the way you wanted it to. And yeah. we all, you know, all three of us certainly have. There, There is a market momentum that, is there right it's always there yeah that market momentum is that is is either coming at your face or it's pushing you right yeah and you know i think that's one of the things that's so hard to try to try to talk to a founder about to say (laughs) yeah if this is really that hard yeah it's there's something the market is actually speaking to you, right? That's the, and, and again, there's always these scenarios where you see like, you know, you're, you're out there screaming from the rooftops and suddenly for whatever reason it takes hold, but yeah. really rare. Right. And I think your advice of just get your product in the hands of as many people as you can within what you believe to be your target market yeah. and just start collecting information. Right. Yeah. It's because so you, important. No, absolutely. Because there are, if you get the right, customer you give it to the right customer and they use it and have great things to say there are lots more like that customer out there who will pay you so i think that's the other concern is like well wait i can't give away my product without making money because i got to make some money because i got a business i'm running and all that but you know there are more people out there who are willing to pay it's to give it to some people for free or you know whatever your version of free is Um, yeah well just you'll get so much good data so much good data. It is one of those things that makes me just want to smash my head against the wall repeatedly, right? When you, when, when I talk to a founder who gets so wrapped up around pricing, right? Well, I can't sell. It's too cheap. Nobody's going to value my product. No, actually, no one's going to know your product exists unless you get it out there yeah. and start collecting real data. Stop worrying about optimizing on those early customers mm-hmm. around price, right? Or or even having the perfect message or anything like that. Yeah. Get it into the market. Yeah. 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 Pricing is pricing is an excuse for a lot of inactivity. And right. you know, because it's like I don't have the ideal price. Well, I don't know that any product has the ideal price, just based on how many prices change and how much there is to do. I mean, at an enterprise level, the, the discounting is insane. Right. And, yeah. and so I don't think anybody's got it right, which is okay. Just yeah. the faster you can learn, the better off we are. Yep. Absolutely. Another note, when Jason was talking about um, just getting it in the hands of customers, but also the messaging, I know you said that at the end, but it's an important thing. Like you can learn really fast with messaging too. I mean, instead of getting that paralysis of what should we say? What, how do we say it? And then, then thinking that's the problem, like how we're saying it is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying something is right. Right. 
and then you learn from there. And they'll give you feedback too. You're going to get feedback on that. That's right. And I, you know, I think, I think that most founders, so there's, there's a difference between saying something eloquently and then saying something that's wrong. And most mm-hmm. founders are probably not saying something that's wrong. Like I'm right. the way I'm describing my product is not correct. It doesn't, it, it probably factually accurate. It may be, it could be said in a more exciting way. And those mm-hmm. are, those are the words that are in the mouth of your customer. So you write down what you think you do and maybe you love it. Maybe you don't, but you give it to people and they, they will say it out loud and then they'll say something back to you that maybe is rephrasing that or or in the mm-hmm. course of the conversation, they'll give you a little word phrase like, oh, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. And so you can pick those things up and then test them, right? All that stuff is testable with, with keywords and, and um, search terms, like all, the, all those things, all those words are out there being used. So it's just yep. the order in which you're going to use them and you can, you can find those things out. So this question's for both of you guys, right? Because again, I, you know, we're talking about Jason as being one of the sort of the best marketers out there when it comes to tech and Peter is as well. And, you know, we've, um, I've had worked together many times. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've had to build work with these, we make things together that we know better, (laughs) a little better. (laughs) So, so to, to just kind of drill down on what you just said, Jason, this question's for both of you guys. You're how, how do you test? Like, Tactically speaking, you're a founder, you're trying to still kind of establish product market fit. You're trying to really understand where's the market for this. How, how do you specifically test? I'm going to tee up Jason for this answer, right? Because if you're able to measure outcome yeah. and different luck, not just like simply, right? The more detail, and again, early stage may not be able to be ready for this level of detail, but just trying to measure as much as you can, right? Around an email performance. Did this email do better than that email? And what's the headline? What is the, what did the landing page look like? And there's all these metrics you can get through Google analytics, through all these tools that give you some feedback, right? And so when we get into, you know, who you're hiring and that process, like you need someone that understands some of this so that you can get that data back and then share it, right? And say, hey, I don't know why, but this piece of content is producing a lot of revenue for us. I'm not sure why. It doesn't matter. Like you just start learning, you know, what actually works. But again, what Jason's doing now is super important to really understanding what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I will address that, Peter, because I, I think you're right. I mean, you, yeah. have to, you have to be able to me- like measure as much as you can. Yeah, I just had a board meeting the other day and I, I get, I, I gave so much data that the feedback was like, okay, wait, that's actually a little bit too much. Let's talk about what's used <laughs> here. Like, okay. Yeah. I can get a little excited about sharing everything I had. Um, but, but I think Peter, the, or, uh, Greg, the, the, the first thing that I would do in answer to your question, if, if, and, and I did this with, with, Full Circle Insights. When I when I got to Full Circle Insights, I sat down and pretty much for an entire day started Googling marketing attribution and everything that hung off of marketing attribution and just read and, you know, I got a whole page of notes just full with ideas and thoughts and things like that to understand what the collective voice was saying about that topic. Mm-hmm. And yep. That then went into my mixing bowl as I was thinking about, okay, how do I explain what it is that we do? And little phrases came out. So that's like a very tactical sit down on my computer and start doing that kind of thing. Um, and, then, and then Peter's talking about something that's more advanced, but, but as important, which is, you know, I, I would bring it down to like the um, level of, I have this customer. When did they close and what can I, how can I track their path back up through the funnel and see what they did and who they talked to and what those notes were? Um, because I, I think that that's, and that's what you were teeing up for me, Peter, which is, you know, full circle insights has that capability to, to find a closed one or a closed loss and track it back through the funnel. 
But again, there's so much rich data in there. It's like not just how they came into the business, but what happened their third, fourth, fifth steps in. Because if they're B2B buyers, their third, fourth, fifth steps in, we're not even talking to a rep yet. They were still out knocking around the internet looking for stuff, coming to your website. One of the, uh, I think, most impactful things that I ever did in my previous business, which all three of us were working together on, Back in the really early days of Outmatch, before it was even Outmatch, it was checked.com is that that mapping process, right? We we I know and Peter is the one who brought me through this. Like the three, the two of us kind of sat down one day and he said, Okay, like let's just look at, you know, we, we probably had five customers, 10 customers yeah. at the time, right? And let's just look at what they did every single step. And this was totally manual that they went through. And what we came down to was this kind of discovery, right? And today, it, you know, you look at it and say, well, that was the big discovery that you guys came up with. And I mean, the answer was yes, it was really big, which was we never closed a deal when there weren't more than three people involved in the buying process. Yep. In our and data. We lost, in our data. And we lost every single deal where there wasn't a minimum of three. That was it. That and was then, the insight. And right? then- the yeah, first thing I mean, said was so important. Well, show me all our open deals right now. So we went and <laughs> tried to get that data. <laughs> right, right. And right. there was a rep sitting next to us who was convinced that he was going to close this deal. And Greg said, I'll bet you a steak dinner, you don't close it because yeah. the data tells us you won't. Yeah. And right. you can and, imagine what happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He still owes me a steak dinner. Exactly. exactly. I'm where. <laughs> Somewhere he's listening to this, and I'm going to come collecting at one point. Exactly. Um, the but the, but that's it, right? It's those little insights that you can gain that you don't. You know, this doesn't have to be. No. Just you know, super technical, and it doesn't have to be right. hard. Like you said, Jason. I mean, what you and, and and Peter has said this to me a thousand times. Like, number one, understand who your customer is, and then test that. Right. Number two. Just come up with a message and start talking about it and just see what happens, right? And then start collecting some data. And this can be like you just said. I mean, here's a here's a top flight marketer sitting here saying, What did you do on the first day, you know, on your first day of CEO, of being a CEO? I started Googling attribution and writing notes on a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it doesn't and, have and to that, be hard, right? Right. And what in the process you just described going through with Peter in the early days of check is now today called account-based marketing. And account-based marketing uh, is a really expensive concept. And right. it is software heavy. And it is, and, and that's not all bad, right? I mean, it, this is, these are hard problems to solve, okay? And they do, yeah. they do require some technology and money and all of that. But account-based marketing is a mindset. I'm selling deals. Who's in them? Multiple people. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. I now have a committee. Okay. Let's go back into all our prospects. How many people are in that in as contacts in that account? Or how many leads do we have in that company? And that's where you started with the with the steak dinner idea. Is like, okay, well, if you don't have multiple contacts, it's not happening. And and you have to get good at that kind of thinking because that's where you learn everything. I mean, again, I the business that I just left when I came to to full circle, we we spent a lot of money on account based marketing, and we didn't do it wrong, but it wasn't super successful for us because we didn't answer the fundamental questions first. We just sort of jumped in with like, ah, oh, that piece of software can solve our problem. Like I got sucked <laughs> into that, you know. Right. And so you you can't. You have to like, what is what problem am I solving? What is my strategy? Who am I selling to? Are these really the people that are buying from me? Yeah. And Google it all and write it down. I mean, I like it. <laughs> that, that's the process. It's yeah. Yeah. Jason's saying he's just talking going back to the fundamentals, like be yeah. Be diligent about those and then you can find right. success. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of tech and a bunch of things and you're like doing right. a bunch of stuff and nothing's coming out, right? I was yep. talking to the team the other day. We had an all company meeting and I was talking to the team the other day and I just you know like there's things that are just fundamental to how we do business. And that's why, like, go watch a high school basketball practice. 
it's boring because it's boring because they just drill the whole time. It's just all about fundamentals. And that's what's winning the game for them mm -hmm. in the end. And that's the same concept. Like that's what we're doing here. You know, who are we is like a first principle of the business. You've got to go back to that all the time. So that's that, that fundamental conversation. It's really good advice. Where do you start? You know, and I think this is, and I, and I asked that question because I think it's, it's hard sometimes to figure out if you're just kind of getting going or you're at an yeah. early stage is, do you start branding your business? Do you start with demand gen do, sort of, where do you, you know, once you think you've got this kind of a, you know, you've got yeah. sort of a working assumption around your market and your message and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I developed this theory when I was working with you, Greg, and it was, you start with demand generation because demand generation activities will end up notifying your brand, will end up becoming part of your brand. Mm -hmm. But infrequently yeah. will your brand activities drive a lot of demand, right? So yeah. you, you need to drive, <laughs> if you think you've got it, what that means is you need to test whether other people understand it. And so you need yep. to drive them into the business and you need to see who's coming in and who's responding to those messages. And that's, to me, I would refer to that as demand generation. Mm. If you start yep. with big brand messaging that is, that is not tied to a call to action, you won't know that anybody's seeing that message and responding to it. Mm -hmm. So I would yeah. start with demand generation. Now, that's still a pretty big umbrella. So then yeah, within demand sure generation, what do you do next? 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 And the where I would start are the things that drive people in with, with a relative high level of frequency. Because then you can see who yep. those people are, like I said, and you can start understanding how they're re responding to your messages. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I'd agree. I think you're right. Um, especially early stage, I, many, many years ago when I started doing this as an agency, I had a individual come to me and say, they're going to sponsor a NASCAR event. And they did as a startup <laughs> Yeah, and they're not here anymore. Um, <laughs> surprised they that got didn't work one year. So <laughs> it was like a race sponsorship. That's that was their entire budget. It's gone. Can only imagine it's what not, that costs. I, I they had so much that. visibility very quickly, and for yeah. one day, one day, right? right. <laughs> yeah. When I was at Career Builder, we looked at a NASCAR sponsorship, right? Yeah. I mean, why not? This is a consumer brand, essentially. Like, yeah. get that name right. out, and it's it's a long logo, so it would fit on the side of a car really nicely. Um, <laughs> and and just we we never did it because it was just too expensive. Like did even, it make sense? Even as a relatively big company that could afford that sort of thing, yeah, we looked at it and said, "Well, what what's the alternate use of this money?" And the alternate use of that money was more target. I swear to God, more targeted demand gen stuff for B two B marketing. And it was like, yeah. "Okay, well, right. let's do that." Um, yeah, right. and it it's was and it was better. It's is that how you actually got sure. your budget? By saying, hey, we can do this NASCAR. No, or we NASCAR. don't. And I'll do all this. <laughs> yeah. And now I got my budget I wanted. Totally. But, I mean, it's boring as hell, right? Like, you know, it's way more fun to sponsor a NASCAR, you know, car than it is, you know, to go do more blocking and tackling demand gen. But you see it. And I think there's a shift, right? As you start to see the market, the venture capital markets are a lot softer now than they were. You're going to your companies are going to have to start doing a lot more with less fundamentals are going to be a lot more important. They're not going to, you're not going to see as, you know, as many companies really overfunded where boring is really going to be what's most important, right? Yeah. Boring and narrowing and narrowing and narrowing a market, not trying to go out to right. this, you know, mass um, well, is more and this important than ever. And, and boring gets back to, okay, then when you're ready to hire people and you want to hire people that are better than you at this, the people that are better than you as demand gen marketing and B2B branding and all of that do not think that topic is boring. Like they, right. they jump into it and they're like, I love spending my time on that. I love solving that problem. I can be a, 
30 second video that everybody thinks is so boring. But let me tell you what, the three people that watch this, they're going to call us, you know, that's right. and like that's that's, that's right. the other lesson is like, where do you start? OK, well, you, you when you start hiring people for that, they've got to be the people who think that that stuff's the most exciting stuff in the world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a good segue. Um, who do you hire first? I know it's situational. We kind of talked about that before, but. Like, how do you, how do you solve who to hire for? And it, it obviously depends on the founder. Like, but like, if you're a, if you're a technical product founder an engineer, you, you could be kind of lost in that. So what are, what are some things they should think about for hiring? Yeah. Again, I go back to the go to market piece of it. So what is your go to market strategy and do you have, do you, if you already have a flow of people finding then maybe the right thing to do is do more, hire a marketer who can do more demand gen so that mm -hmm. your sales team has more people to talk to because they probably don't have enough people to talk to, right? So you're not, you're not probably not going to set hire another salesperson on top of that until they're full. So then I would look at a demand gen marketer to, to do that sort of thing. And your early stage demand gen marketers are going to need to be um, going to need to be people who can do multiple things. They have to understand the technical nature of it because if they get lost and they break something, that's a collection of technology put together. That's a, a huge can of worms. Um, and you know, they have to be able to write a sentence. So they're a little bit more, you know, Jack of all trades type person. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, do you I still would need to write a sentence with, with chat GPT. Do you still actually need to write a sentence? Uh, I think you do. I think you do. Because <laughs> I did. It's funny because I did. I did. Um, I recently had an. Exp uh, I used ChatGPT for um, for something the other day, and it made me laugh out loud. Like, I'm like it's not bad, but it is not at all what what I or what anybody would expect. So, you know, I I think. With Chet, you know, the interesting thing about ChatGPT is I, I think it's a really effective first draft thing. And yeah. then like to just kind of get it all moving. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But I, you know, I'm how if you can't I'm a good write writer, a sentence, and I don't feel like I need them. So if you can't write a <laughs> sentence, how can you know if if that is actually good or not? Yeah. <laughs> and that's your job, right? So I think he's exactly. I think you kind of need to know a little bit about that. Yeah. So so I, it, this is for both of you guys. So you, you, you just, you use the term like a jack of all trades demand gen. What does that mean? Like if I'm, if I'm a founder, what's my job description look like for this person? Because what you're talking about, you're talking about more of a doer here than you are yeah. like a CMO. No, for sure. Oh, big time. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so what's yeah, yeah. a job description for that person? What are the things, what are the, what are the That's five the, bullet points? The I first one is what you just said. Cause I know. What's that? I don't not know a CMO? No, a doer, like someone that actually oh. wants to do the work, right? Because I, I know we've, I don't know if we've overlapped on people like this, but definitely seen people that got hired that wanted to tell people what to do, but didn't really want to do it. And I'm like, there's no one here, but you, like you're it. So you kind of pick what you do and then we'll do the other stuff and then help you out. But um, that, that's, I think, number one. They, they have to be ready to yep. do really interested in doing stuff and like curious in that way. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that I, the, the word I used is action. Like you need someone who is willing to actively get their hands dirty in the business. Well, hundred percent. And, and that's, that's why uh, I think a lot of early stage companies are loaded up with engineering talent because engineers are like, yeah, I could solve that problem. You know, yeah, like just very positive about my ability to solve that problem. So that I think number one, um, number two, you've got to understand the typical marketing tech stack. So you really yep. like, you have to know how to use this, whatever CRM system you want to use. You have to know how to use that. You have to understand how to connect different pieces of technology with different pieces of technology um, and how to do the research to figure that out. Because there, there aren't there aren't a lot of people who have those answers. You just kind of have to do that. So that that technical angle, you got to want to be technical like that and kind of get lost in there a little bit to really understand it. Um, the third thing I had is you've got to have somebody who understands search. 
And that is SEO, that is paid advertising, that is um, search behavior, that is everything that's encompassed on how do I Google Analytics, like all of that stuff. I kind of put yeah. that all in that search um, category because that's where you're going to find all the information. Mm -hmm. And then um, someone who's analytical. And I think that might go into the technology piece of it, but you got to have somebody who's analytical, who's able to say, I want to find the answer and then use that answer to, to bring my solution to light. Yeah. It's interesting because Jason described that more technical person. And then would you say like at that early stage for the creative stuff or someone like you're probably doing it as a group, but also like any actual ad creative or web creative web dev all, I know it's a technical person, but actually making it make sense is the creative piece. Do you go outside for that or when would you hire for that? It's funny, Greg, that you mentioned Chad GPT. So I don't, I don't know that I would use that to solve that creative problem. But yeah, I, I was kidding. I was but, actually kidding. About yeah, but it. Not, <laughs> yeah. okay. But yeah. there are a lot of ways to do yeah. that, right? And and the yeah. ways yeah. that so at that size of a company, when I did that before, we had a little team of people that I kind of handpicked because I knew that they were literate. You know, like get in a room yeah. and let's talk about this. And and that's where a lot of creative came from. So you within know, your team, there are within that company. within my team is yeah. the first place yeah. I went outside, not like agency outside but freelance right. outside is probably yeah. the next place i'd go and then yeah. i'd look at the outside just because those are the you know costs go up uh, yeah yeah like the most expensive the yeah least expensive kind of alternatives yeah. and if you're a startup you're looking for the least expensive um there's really good talent out there that you could get that maybe want to just do a few hours here and there yeah want to keep sure. their foot in the game you know there's a lot of people sure. home with families and you know, and they want more of that flexibility. So it's not a bad thing right now to find. Yeah. Some would you guys, talent. would you guys say at least, and, I, and I'm, I'm asking this question from experiences that I've had, right? Would you guys say that it, it's easy to over index on that creative side versus the analytical side? Because you look at, you look at where companies yeah. often hire, right? And there's this kind of prototypical marketer, you know, and yeah, it's not, but what you guys are really describing is, it's actually a highly technical data analyst in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I, uh, I agree. I think that that data person now I do think, I do think that marketers have changed even in the last 10 years. I mean, in my career, certainly marketers have changed. They were communications people. Now they're mm -hmm. analytical data people. I mean, that's really how that has changed. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and the, the value and the money is on that analytical side of things, uh, I think more so than the, than the communications side of things in, in general. Now, you know, there are lots of people at Coca-Cola who would disagree and agree and like, but, but mm -hmm. that's, I think, where the, yeah. where the tide is shifted. Yeah, I think that's, I would that's say, where I stopped that comment. <laughs> so, yeah, so to that point, like what Jason said is really interesting because he brought up Coca-Cola. So... Um, we had, we've had a customer that we sold to Salesforce, like the, the, the business got sold to Salesforce. We were part of it. We were still working with Salesforce. They looked at everything we did and they're like, you can't do any of this. Like the marketer for an early stage company is very different than a marketer for a big built brand that's in market yeah. Yeah. for a long time. And so just like the founder is a unique person. You need marketers that have been in that environment that can work with less and be uh, resourceful and know, hey, I would love to do that, but we're just doing this and understand that, you know, one of the things we told customers for a long time is like, you look at your website and you're upset with it and you think it kind of looks dented and rusty and old and, but we can race that around the track pretty well. We can get customers with it, right? So you have to have this comfort level that it's not perfect, but we're winning. You could win with it, right? Mm -hmm. And you could win with something maybe not as perfect as what Coca-Cola can have, right? And the coolness that they can do because they have the time and the resources to do that. So I think that's a big thing. And that, that kind of is what Jason was talking about, like, is like, you know, use what you've got and you can still win, right? You can still win. 
you don't need to have this big creative agency come tell you how to say what you're saying. They're only going to do that based on the data that you, you tell them, right? That's what it's based right. on, right? So, yeah. And that's, I mean, I would even now having just thinking through the examples of marketing big and small companies, I now just am drawing almost every campaign I can think of back to the data. Like even mm -hmm. the moves that giant companies like Coca-Cola are making, it's all based on data. Even yeah, the moves that, sure. that I'm talking about today with um, just understanding some of the things that happened last week, I've got a list that I'm comparing to another list, right? It's all just based in that data. So like every thing I'm thinking of in terms of the context of marketing is all rooted in, rooted in the data set somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in our, in our last couple minutes, just to kind of, sort of pull the all the pieces together because you guys, I mean, both of you guys hit on a ton of the, you know, on, on a ton of pieces, I think that are incredibly important for a startup. Just kind of summarize this for us. Like if you're, you're a founder, we called this, you know, we titled this startup marketing uh, bootcamp. Just give me the three or four things. You're a founder. Here's what you need to go do right now. If you're struggling in this area, start with, work with the ICP, right? Start with figuring out your customers, right? Number one is strategy. Yep. Who are you? Who are your customers? Who's buying from you? Two is start testing, get comfortable with the process of testing. So that's, that's the ideation and then the action to take, to begin to run tests. And then based on the testing of that strategy into the market, your next phase is really a demand generation phase and like focus, yep. uh, focus there. So your test is going to produce a direction. That's your demand generation direction until you get to a point where it says, Oh, got to test again. Got to test again. Yep. So those are the, I would say those are the three pieces that I would look at. Absolutely. Yep. Totally. So. And then and see what you learn and go back to step one, right? I mean, yeah. if you're not seeing, if you're not seeing the results, maybe you've got the wrong market. Maybe yeah. yep. you're just talking about it in a way that nobody understands, right? Test again, run through the same steps again, right? Yeah. That's exactly and then right. What, what Jason said earlier, the one thing I'd add is talk. If you have customers, talk to them, like don't yep. avoid them, get them to help you. Like Jason said, tell them what you think and then see how they react to it. And they're going to tell you they're the ones that actually put the money up to buy your stuff. So yeah. out of your market, yeah. they actually believed you. So, you know, I, I would go back, Peter, you and I were talking about this earlier today. I would actually add one thing to that, right? Which is not only your customers, because in the very beginning, you may not have a lot of customers, right? Right. right. But, but it's the, but it's the win loss reviews, right? It's the losses too. It's, it's amazing to me. I've actually had this experience very recently. It's amazing to me how much information companies who don't choose you will actually mm -hmm. give you, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. To pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm Greg. I'm the CEO of you know this company. Just, just it's totally cool that you did. I'm not, yep. I am not here. I'm not going to try to convince you to change your decision. I absolutely respect your decision. Can you just help me learn what didn't resonate? What was it? Was there anything that confused you? Was there anything, you know, what, when you looked at kind of one solution for another, where did we fall short? It is amazing. I've often gotten more information because there's like this little guilt factor, right? That actually yeah. works for you. Yeah. Well, they, they want to help you. They, they do. And it's amazing. People will say, look, you know, here's what didn't connect for me. Here's what I was really confused about, right? And, you know, it can become really powerful information, building that, building that muscle of the win-loss review to get real data from real prospects or customers to say, here's what I bought, here's what I didn't buy. I think it becomes, it's either can really work for you. And because a lot of, the, you know, just the, the reality of these things, you know, you're going to, even if you've got a great close rate, you're still losing 80%, yeah. right? That 80% is an incredible data source for you. Well, we talked about not falling in love with 
the things you create, the marketing that you create, being objective about that. Win-loss review, especially loss review, is exactly that. You have to be yep. open to someone telling you that the thing you created did not meet their needs. And right. when, when, when a founder or anybody in your company is able to do that and learn from that, that to me is what being a business executive is about. Like I've taken that emotional level out of it to learn so then I can make positive change as we move forward in the business. And it's just so powerful once you can rise above the emotional and ask the question, get real responses to that question. It's so powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you nailed it. That's, I think that's well, the best advice. Just especially if you're a founder, you get so emotional about it. You built this thing, right? You have to, you have to let, let yourself go far from that to learn. That's, that's yep. the best advice we had today. Yep. Love it. Well, it's a great place to, uh, that's a great place to end it. Jason, where can people find you if they want information on full circle insights or, uh, I have a yeah, home address. They... We'll just put it on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, we, yeah, no, we, oh, we can put my home address on here. That's fine. People call me. Right. Um, Peter and I will actually, Peter and I will pay for the Uber rides yeah. to Jason's house if you're- Want to talk and, to him uh, many to... times. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Just bring bourbon. Make you sure can... you have some bourbon with you. And just... <laughs> right. It may work out. It's possible. <laughs> you can meet Jason at your nearest Jamba Juice. He'll, That's uh, right. He'll be I'm, there. I'm there. I'm his there favorite ordering place. extra supplements in my, in my juice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> and this is not a question we're asking. Right. Quick, where do people reach you before this this turns into a disaster? Yeah, they you can you can email me at the world's longest email address, jason.ferrara at fullcircleinsights.com. Um, you could find me on LinkedIn. Let's see, I've got you can go to fullcircleinsights.com and send a contact. You could go to my website, jasonleeferrara.com, and we could talk about books and concerts and fun stuff like that. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, this is, uh, this is great. Enormously, uh, I think, um, helpful information. If you're, uh, if you're early stage, actually, you know, I think at any stage, um, True. just going back to the fundamentals is so important. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so this is great. Uh, Jason, Peter also, uh, like I said, these two, uh, I've had the ability to work with both of these two for a long time now, and they're the two best, uh, that there is out there. So it's great to, um, it's great to be able to get them on one podcast together and sort of get it back and forth going. So, uh, and Thank this was much cleaner than I really expected this to be. <laughs> I'm not sure Wait, that you... I swore once. No, there was no, no swearing this... in this episode. I don't understand. No, that. no. And normally Peter and I get criticized because there's so much profanity, <laughs> unneeded profanity in our podcast. Really? I mean, they just turned into re-rated us. We're in a special We're... section of podcasts. Just nonstop f bombs, but for no reason whatsoever. Like it's we're not bringing even this for effect. It's we're bringing this. <laughs> <one back. laughs> we'll ins we'll we'll insert a lot of profanity and in, in editing. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for being with us. It's great. We'll thanks, see you on the next episode of Founders Journey Podcast. Thanks, Peter.